Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I am Dan Masuda, joined here by Rich Rebar and Ryan McChrystal. We are breaking down round one of the 2022 NFL Draft. Guys, how are we doing today? Doing well. Excited to be joining you guys. Always love talking a little post round one. Yeah, we're, we're running thin here on about like three hours of sleep. Uh, you know, that I always have to get the kids ready for school in the morning, but I was up writing up like trades and offensive linemen and all kinds of things at like three 30. And I was like, Oh yeah. I was like, I've got to find a way to get to sleep here uh, before we have to do it again. All, all today again, Rich, I just, I want to say no one forced you to write about offensive linemen. <laughs> you, you know, that's, I'm a company man. And you know, uh, the people that you deserve, you know, Dave Gettleman doesn't have a job anymore. So he might be needing to read some of this, uh, you know, offensive linemen <laughs> stuff. So I want to make sure he has the content he's looking for. No, it was it was good. Uh, we got a, a breakdown of like all the first round offensive linemen, which were uh, a lot, and we'll just kind of dive into this. So, uh, Ryan, I just want to kind of start with you because you are of the, you know the three of us, the the mock drafter of the group, and like actually diving into what we you thought was going to happen, and for kind of what we, it, it was crazy, I, I think, because we did like see some wild things, like unexpected. And I think some of those might have happened from you know, some of the trades we saw, but. Overall, I think you were still fairly accurate in your mock draft. Um, so from like that perspective, like what was your take on how the first round kind of shaped out? Yeah, I mean, one of the big picture takeaways was, I mean, I was kind of out on a limb because a lot of people were saying that this was going to be one of the most unpredictable drafts ever. And I kept saying, no, I don't think so. Like we kind of know who the best players are. Like we're, it's going to be a normal draft. And you're right. The trade, the fact that we saw some players traded, especially a big name guy like AJ Brown trade, that's very rare. Like I was thinking going into the draft, we're probably not going to see Debo Samuel trade because we just don't see those types of trades. And turns out I was right about Samuel, but wrong for very wrong about the whole big picture uh, reason behind that. Because you know, seeing Hollywood Brown and AJ Brown get traded, um, that that was the big shock of the draft. But as far as the players and coming off the board and whatnot, no, like there were a lot of picks that like we knew what teams were going to do. We weren't. We really weren't shocked by, you know, even if we got some of the uh, individual players wrong, like they addressed the positions we were expecting them to. The players came off the board in roughly the order that we were expecting them to. And, you know, other than Cole Strange sneaking in there, there, there really was <laughs> no always one. shock. Yeah, there's, there's always one. It's always the, the Patriots. Back. Yeah, within the, those last few picks. we. But that's part of it being an expected draft. Like within those last four or five picks, someone's going to be like, oh, crap, like all our guys are gone. We can't trade out. What do we do? Panic. Draft Cole Strange. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, we can, I'm sure we'll get into the Patriots a little bit, but it's just like one of the, it's another one of those tr- places where I think we, we saw a couple times with this where like you you trade away someone or uh, you have show no interest in resigning them in free agency and then just kind of draft someone who has mm-hmm. the exact same position. But like at this point, like why not just keep Shaq Mason? especially for like only a fifth rounder, like for some of these other teams, like we'll get into like what the Titans did, but like trading a a first rounder and then getting a guy, but like when you're trading Shaq Mason for a fifth rounder and then drafting someone like Cole Strange, who like apparently I'm going to be honest, I have done absolutely (laughs) no work on Cole Strange. Um, Like he was not like a a top 50 guy. I didn't go too deep into offensive linemen, but like he apparently like has some good traits was good in the senior bowl. But again, this like, not a place you need to be taking him in the back end of the first round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I 
I did have Cole Strange in my top 100. He was 78th overall, so I thought he would come off the board today, and I'd be like, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting pick. He, he might be able to step in right away or at least develop into a good starter for you. But in round one, I mean, and this is not uncommon for Belichick. Like, Belichick believes he's the smartest guy in the room all the time. And on Sundays in the fall, he usually is. In April, he is not. And we have 20-plus years of evidence to demonstrate that he's not. He is I mean, he's not like a terrible drafter, but he certainly doesn't have a good reputation. He has, he's mediocre. He sh- he's not the type of guy who should feel confident making those types of risks, even after a trade down. I mean, they did obviously trade down and that's, you know, that's their MO and that's a smart strategy that he employs well. But if you trade down and then you take a guy who was going to be there, you know, at least 20 picks later, you know, it, it kind of, it's kind of a wash. Maybe the dog made that pick that was there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, listen, Sean McVay thought Cole Strange was going to be there in the hundreds. Uh, yeah, saw that. yeah. That was pretty yeah amazing. I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you have seen that clip yeah. uh, by now. But and I felt good. I felt really good about saying that because his reaction kind of made it seem like they were considering him. And I, I mentioned him in my mock draft as one of the guys that would be uh, possibly in that range and a target for them. And of course, I was off by about 80 picks. Yeah, so I mean, that was, you know, one of the interesting things, because we we do see guys like that go. And like you said, that's kind of, we do expect an unexpected pick like that at some point. But in terms of like, overall, we didn't see a lot of like, really crazy things. And I I think maybe we'll just like kind of jump into the wide receivers, because I just think like, we've been talking about just the overall, like the and the overarching, like, path like wide receivers have been taking and and what that market has been how teams feel about them it feels like there's a very clear divide between teams that want to pay a second contract wide receiver uh and teams that want these wide receivers and are going to just bring them in in rookie deals and we saw some wide receivers like go really early and i think we kind of saw that run uh and we were talking about this a little bit before we got on air you go drake london um eighth to atlanta you go garrett wilson 10th to the jets olave goes 11th to new orleans with the trade up jameson williams goes 12th um and then like that run right there then you you get Jahan Dotson who like, I, I think we liked, like we've, we've talked about him as a good prospect, uh, but jumping up to, to 16th. So I think let's, let's start with those guys who got drafted before we get into the other wide receiver moves. Um, is there a move in there you, you like the most? Is there a fit um, that we, that we like the most? Uh, what, what are we thinking about that first initial run of wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, as far as team fit, I like pretty much all of them. I mean, the Dotson one stands out as the biggest surprise to me just because of where he went off the board. Um, but I, I was high on Jahan Dotson. I, I really believe if Jahan Dotson measured even just an inch taller, he would have had very similar measurables and testing numbers to Garrett Wilson. And I think we would have discussed him very differently throughout the pre-draft process. As a, I think we would have discussed him as a first-round lock as opposed to like, Early on, we were kind of talking about like he's kind of on the fringe. And then some of the trades happened. We started realizing that wide receivers might get bumped up. We started realizing he was going to go. But yeah, I, I don't really, I don't have a problem with it in that spot. Um, and the other guys, like, you know, I think the best fit, if I had to pick a best fit, it's probably Garrett Wilson to the Jets because we know that that offense wants yak guys. And that's a huge strength of Garrett Wilson. So that's the best fit. But I, I think all of them are good fits. They're all going to produce in those offenses. 
Yeah, what's interesting about this wide receiver class is, you know, you were seeing wide receivers now go to teams basically ahead of quarterbacks. Now you look at these situations, they're pretty fluid if you look at them in totality. Like all these teams, all six of these teams could really have different quarterbacks by the time even, you know, as, as by 2024 or even as early as next season or some teams even maybe by Friday night. Uh, we'll see what happens, you know, at the throughout some of these uh because we'll talk about the quarterbacks not really going either at this point which was kind of be expected but you know you look at atlanta they could have a rookie quarterback still start at some point this year detroit the same way uh you know does ryan Tannehill become like a you know a contract casualty after the season did they take an apparent for him you know the, the titans were getting mocked a ton of quarterbacks throughout this process Jamison winston and carson wentz are complete wild cards we don't know like where they're going to fall on the spectrum and the one guy that has some stability right now contractually the franchise is zach wilson and he just outright has to be a lot better than he was as a rookie so it's interesting that you see the impact that this offseason has had at the wide receiver position because now you're seeing teams even start to build a position forward without even having stable quarterback situations and that's kind of where things have been pushed. It's turned into a weak link position in the NFL. Uh, contractual leverage has shifted towards wide receivers. When me and Dan were talking about the receivers getting paid, it was like, all right, these are guys in their third contracts. They're elite players proven. It's it's one of these things like you got quarterbacks and huge contracts. It's hard to tie up 50 plus million dollars of, of equity into these two players. Uh, you're going to side with the quarterback. But now we see two guys that were going to be on second year second contracts in the NFL and A.J. Brown and Marquise Brown. And now how does that impact what we still have Debo Samuel hanging out there, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin. None of those guys were first round picks uh, in that 2019 draft class, DK Metcalf as well. And now how do those uh, the moves that happened last night still impact these players that we're still waiting for the dominoes to fall in? So we didn't see the elevation from the wide receivers. I thought when we had an initial run, because the whole thing me and Dan talked about, I was like, well, these top five guys are going to be gone. And then it ended up being six where Jahan Dotson, you know, gets up higher than we thought. And by pick 18, six guys are off the board. And it was like, all right, well, now are we going to see Sky Moore sneak in the first round? Or we see uh, Christian Watson sneak in the first round. And that never happened. Those still teams in the back third of the draft still uh, operated with trepidation. And uh, I know Packers fans are probably talking about it at ad nauseum again. Uh, you know, sorry, sorry about that, but you still have a shot to get another wide receiver. But those guys never got elevated. So it still gives me kind of an inkling of like, well, the, the NFL still kind of still pumped their brakes when we got to like that tier break. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the reasons I didn't mind Detroit's trade up. Um, and maybe I will, you know, lose uh, access to the the nerd club when I like <laughs> say this. But I think part of when you're you're trading up and like we know, we know it's not good to trade up a lot, right? You you don't want to make the habit uh, of that. But when you're able to work the board uh, in a way, and I think like we've seen Detroit do that a, a little bit. But even in what they gave up, uh, you know, it depends on like what trade value chart you're looking at. But the fact that it comes out like in Minnesota's favor on some and Detroit's favor in another, like that's not usually what trade ups look like. Usually it's just a loss, no matter like what trade chart you're, you're looking at it, uh, unless it's like the Jimmy Johnson chart, but we know that's like very outdated, but for them to like still get 46 in that and not completely lose out on what they were going to do. And so, but to go back to the trading up, like we know it's bad to like trade up and, and target a specific player but we kind of know it's okay it's better when you're like looking at tiers of guys right and so we kind of knew that tier was going to drop off and it, apparently Jahan Dotson for you know some teams or at least Washington was you know I guess either in the bottom of that tier or at the top of the second but 
Jameson Williams was going to be at at least like the bottom of that first tier of wide receivers when you had the uh, Wilson, London, uh, Olave, and Williams. Uh, so for them to jump up and, and get in that tier, because like the way it went, like there wasn't going to be that guy there at 32, right? So they would have had to reach potentially at whatever that second tier was, the, the Sky Moores or the Christian Watsons or, or whatever. So, and I think this kind of makes a lot of sense for Detroit's, now, kind of timeline, too. Um, I mean, I, I was very big on Jameson Williams, like, being wide receiver one, like, not really caring about the injury. But he kind of goes to a perfect place where they they don't need him right now, right? Like, you, if you're Detroit, you're not really expecting this offense to be very good in 2022. So you don't have to rush Jameson Williams on the field. And you got Shark kind of one year. Right. You got Shark there. You have Amon Ross St. Brown. Like, this turning out to be like a, a, a decent offense for like the second half of 2022 and into 2023. So the fact that they didn't have to like give up a lot and like they moved up quite a bit from 32 to 12, like that's a pretty big leap for them to only have to also give up 34 and 66 and still get 46 back. Like that's not terrible. Like it's not something, again, it's not something you should be making a habit of doing. Um, but the fact that there was that wide receiver run, you got that last guy that's perceived to be in that top tier potentially like could have been like, I think every team who took a wide receiver here, probably except for Washington, uh, like potentially could have gotten who was wide receiver one on their boards. And like, we talked about wide receiver a lot of how, like, it's kind of really eye of the beholder of what you like, uh, for these prospects. Um, but I really liked uh, James Williams going to Detroit and, and how they kind of maneuvered the board there. And you know even what? Washington, uh, even Washington, even like you might have Olave was universally ahead of Jahan Dotson, but like there's still a lot of hubris the Saints operated with in, in trading up for Olave to move up five picks. Uh, you know, career wise, like where, where's the margin? Where do the margins fall? Right for the for those guys, and and that's what saying. We see the Saints do this repeatedly now year after year they 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 operate with this the, with the supreme hubris of trying to said they're trading up for specific players not within tiers like you said yeah uh so now if you look at it in totality they, they've traded up now 24 times in the past 16 drafts they haven't traded down since 2007 if you combine their trade with the eagles prior to the draft they now in this in this draft they sent away pick 16 18 98 101 120 and 237 to go along with their first round pick next year and a second round pick in 2024 in exchange just for picks 11, 19, and 194 in this draft. Like absolute insanity that the, the, the business model the Saints continue to to operate in and the hubris that they, they do. We talk, we've talked about the Saints a couple times this offseason and how they continue to, to, to work the cap and everything. But, I mean, just absolutely absolute insanity that they're continuing to be run this way. Well, I think another factor, too, that we should bring up with some of the receivers coming off the board early and teams seemingly prioritizing that in the draft more is that we're starting to see around the league veteran quarterbacks take control of their careers a little bit more and force themselves out of bad situations into good situations. And so if you're the type of team who's um, maybe in the middle tier, probably not going to draft uh, a superstar quarterback at the very top of the draft next year, I think something in the back of their mind is, well, let's build up a really good offense and you know, maybe someone decides to force their way over here. Like, you know, next year, who knows? Maybe Aaron Rodgers is furious today. And maybe if the Packers don't live up to expectations this year, suddenly his name is out there again. Or maybe Tom Brady, you know, wants to keep going and he's out there in the future. Kyler Murray's name has been, you know, brought up as a you know possible possibility that he's not happy. Like, 
we're going to, we're probably going to continue to see quarterback movement more in the future than we have historically. So I, you know, if you're a team like, you I mean, you could put the saints in that category as a team that they're not going to be drafting in the top five next year. That'd be really surprising. So they're not going to draft their quarterback of the future. Maybe they're thinking, well, all right, no, they're not because the Eagles yeah. have to be. <laughs> 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 they, they could be a bottom five team, but they won't be drafting. They won't be drafting. Yeah. But, but you see what I'm saying? Like those teams that are like yeah. middle of the pack. You're not going to draft your next quarterback. So the Saints, we see them address the offensive line and the uh, wide receiver position. They're kind of creating a good situation that, like, may- yeah, maybe all that can elevate Jamison Wilson, Jamison Winston, but also maybe it's an attractive option for a quarterback who wants to force himself into a better situation. Yeah, and that's one of those things, and I think that kind of brings us into what we can talk about with the the veteran wide receivers that got traded. Um, so the first one was the Marquise Brown. Um, Marquise Brown and pick 100 um, from Baltimore to Arizona for the 23rd overall pick. And I kind of thought that was the craziest thing we were going to see uh, in the first (laughs) round. But uh, so kind of to what you were saying, Ryan, this is also a so not only did, you know, Arizona need a wide receiver, which, you know, we've kind of talked about uh, on the show. And Marquise Brown gives them some speed that they just don't really have. Um, But also it is like a. It's a, it's like an olive branch to Kyler uh, a little bit, uh, a former um, college teammate, um, and uh, a guy that uh, they apparently have like a very close relationship. Um, so I think like that also kind of played into it too. Um, so I think we'll, we can talk about the fit a, a little bit. You know, twenty three is definitely a lot to give up for Marquise Brown, especially when like that was more than the pick the Ravens use. Um, I mean, two spots, though. Him. Yeah, two spots. But also, <laughs> so, I mean, but it also, like, kind of plays into uh, some of the value that, that you're, you're talking about here. And I don't think, like, Marquise Brown has overly overshot that value, especially now that you're probably going to have to give him a second contract if you're giving up the 23rd pick for him. Um, now, I mean, you did get 100 back, but, like, that's not the biggest um you know, the value match there. Um, like, I, I think he, he kind of fits okay with uh, with what Arizona is going to do. He's going to be like the number two now, which I think probably fits him a little more than having to lead an offense as the number one receiver. And I think there was a lot of things like it was reported he was unhappy with Baltimore's offense. Uh, he's requested a trade multiple times. And that was now from brown himself uh saying that and like i understand that like we've said the greg roman offense is not uh very well designed especially from from a passing standpoint um so i think marquise brown like does fit a a little bit better as being like that number two he can be the speed guy um kyler is like really good at throwing down the field so uh, i think that adds just an element to arizona's offense that they didn't really have but feels like it was uh, it, a bit of an overpay, though, to to give up what they did, uh, especially given, you know, what we saw happen like 10 minutes later. I maybe I, I love it. I love it for the Cardinals. Uh, I mean, the horizontal raid was definitely about to be in full effect again. The, you look at what they entered this draft with. They made no secrets that they had Jamison Williams as the number one receiver on their board. They knew they were going to mm-hmm. get him. And then Washington but probably boned them by, you know, that they had said they had this deal done, but like, you know, they couldn't even get John Dotson. So the two best vertical receivers were, were, were long gone. So they couldn't get either of those guys. 
you, you, you're right. You saw what happened to the offense last year when DeAndre Hopkins got hurt and this just forced mm. the run through Christian Kirk and Zach Ertz. They just have no, they had no vertical element in this offense. And you're getting a guy like Marquise Brown, who's been one of the best, you know, downfield receivers in terms of collecting targets now connecting on them due to quarterback play has been a problem you know i wrote about this in the in the round table uh kyler murray since he entered the league he's number one in the nfl in completion rate on throws over 30 air yards or more uh he's second in epa on those dropbacks behind justin herbert and this is with christian kirk being his lead vertical wide receiver christian kirk had 30 of those 82 targets the next highest player had 12 uh, since marquise brown entered the league the same year as Kyler Murray, because they had that awesome year at Oklahoma together. Uh, he is second in the NFL in those targets behind Tyree Kill, but he's only caught nine of those 42 targets, and 14 of them have been deemed uncatchable due to quarterback play, the, mo- uh, the most in the NFL over that span. So I think it's a really great fit, and I think Hollywood Brown is a guy that has a lot more he, – he's not like an apex wide receiver, he said, like the carrying offense, but he still has more nuance to his game than was given credit for, and we saw that over the front half of last season when he was an alpha wide receiver. If we're going to de- de- defend Debo Samuel to the hills of being uh, the receiver he was in the front half of the year, Marquise Brown was right there with him in terms of how he was being used and the production he was having. So I don't think we can discount that to what he had. Uh, and, and Kyler's been a little bit dragged throughout the, I think, this offseason – you know, and he hasn't done himself any favors to like social media or anything. But Kyler Murray, is, I think now has gone from the point where like people considered him overrated to where he might be a little underrated now. He's gotten better all three years of, of his career so far in terms of passer rating index across the board and like every single department. Uh, and, you know, it kind of feels like people think he's an overrated commodity right now. But uh, he's basically given us a sample where he has like an MVP type of ceiling. He's shown it in each of the past few years. Uh, and, and being able to give him just another player, because uh, I talked about the Cardinals when we did our uh, call on the Twitter spaces, and they were one team that, like, they, they needed a move like this. They absolutely needed something like it's a Murray. So I like it. I like it for the Cardinals. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion on it, but I like their process because they very easily could have made this trade, you know, a week ago, a month ago, or whatever. It, it was probably something Baltimore would have done at that point in time. Um, but they waited until the draft because they obviously realized, all right, if we could get, if something happens, if Garrett Wilson falls or Jamison Williams or Chris Olave or Drake London, they were rumored to have interest in all those guys. That that probably would have been the preferable route to go. You don't want to, you know, just settle for Marquise Brown before the draft plays out. But they waited until that happened. They were also rumored to have interest in uh, the two offensive linemen, Kenyon Green and Zion Johnson. And both of those guys came off the board a little. They were, they were both gone by pick 17, which was earlier than we expected. So the guys that Arizona maybe would have preferred that pulling off this trade were gone early. And then they had a nice backup plan in their back pocket. So I think they came into the draft with a pretty good process. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's maybe they overpaid just a, a little bit. But again, like it's it's they were put in a tough situation because that run of wide receivers probably did. Uh, really uh, put a wrench in what they ideally wanted to do. Um, and, and I do think Brown is definitely a much better fit in in Arizona than he was in what's going to happen in Baltimore. Um, Baltimore event. Uh, and Bateman gets free. I was just going to say, is, but this it's the start of uh, the Rashad Bateman breakout that uh, we waited for all of last season. Yeah, Bateman gets freed. I, like I said, I, I love it for I love it for Kyler especially. Now they just gotta sell up that deal, you know, and try to mend mend those bridges. Hopefully, this was enough. Yeah, and I think like that it it certainly plays a part. And like you said, I think 
you know, Kyler is a little underrated at this point. I think, I think a lot of people have just kind of soured on like the Kyler cliff, just kind of everything involved in Arizona. And like, I understand that. And, um, you know, the cliff said he didn't at the combine when we were talking to him, he he said he, he didn't do a good job adjusting, uh, once Deandre Hopkins, uh, was out. And I think, you know, Marquise Brown does help that, right. That does give them a better number two wide receiver than they had at any point, um, last year. Uh, and you know, you bring AJ green back. Uh, I, I don't know if that, that kind of looks worse now that you have Marquise Brown, you can probably have gotten someone else. That's not, uh, AJ green, but you know, we'll see. So let's, let's move on to, uh, the, obviously the, the more interesting veteran wide receiver trade where we got, the. Uh, AJ Brown from Tennessee to Philadelphia for 18 and 101. Um, but this is, this was just kind of the, what we've seen this off season, right? A uh, team enters contracts negotiations with a, uh, with a, a wide receiver coming up who needs a new deal. Um, the team does not want to give him a, a contract that is near what some of the other top wide receivers uh, are making and the wide receiver says okay uh, I'm out and uh, and so like that's what happened so you know with this trade um, yeah AJ Brown did get a, a four-year 100 million dollar uh, extension uh, from the Eagles with 57 million dollars guaranteed so that comes out to about you know 25 million dollars a year just in in average salary the but again the 57 million over that four years and 57 million guaranteed over the hundred like that's not really a lot and like well again we've we talked about wide receiver contracts you know, too much uh, on this but uh, again hitting that 25 million dollars like whether that's like real money and you know uh, the eagles are, are a team that loves to kind of uh, bump up some of the value uh, in this co- these contracts and um you know either have some void years doesn't look like that's the case here but uh, again even if like the last year of this deal is is super bumped up to just hit that 25 million dollar mark again like that's a thing that you have to be able to do that. And, and Tennessee, uh, I think maybe hit that to, to start. Like they're, they're a team that didn't really have the ability to, to pay AJ Brown what he wanted. Like, even if they kind of maybe wanted to, um, you have, you know, Ryan Tannehill on uh, the, I think the, the highest cap hit in the league this year, um, making uh, $38.6 million on the cap. When you have guys like uh, Bud Dupree, uh, making 19.2, Derek Henry at 15, um, Taylor Luan at uh, just under 14.5. Um, you know, you have Robert Woods now at, at 10. Um, so you have uh, just a, a lot of these, you know, big contracts um, for for the Titans. And I think that kind of like really set them up into a, a weird murky future um, that it seems like they – then decided they they wanted to get cheaper with with that rookie deal. Yeah, and from the Eagles' perspective, I, I feel like this trade is a lot about Jalen Hurts because I think they're kind of iffy on him still, and they have two first-round picks next year. So even though they're probably not going to be picking at the top of the draft next year, they have the ammunition to go up and get it. And so now it's like, all right, they, they sort of self-scouted, it felt like. Okay, we have a terrible track record of drafting wide receivers. We think we hit on Devontae Smith last year. Let's get a sure thing in here, and uh, we'll let Jalen Hurts prove it now because we need to know by the end of this season whether he's our guy because we've got the assets in a quarterback class that should be pretty good next year. So this is sort of like, okay, here you go, Jalen. Like, you got your guy. Let's see what you got. 
Yeah, it's it's like a it's a playing both sides, right? Kind of like what you said before. It's giving insurance for for Jalen Hurts right now, but also if we do need to get a quarterback, they still have uh, the the two first round picks, like you said, and, f- and for them to to not have to give up one of those first rounders uh, in this trade is incredible to only give up 18 and 101. And again, like the, the extension kind of adds to that, but um, like we've, we've seen like top tier. And I think like, you know, AJ Brown and, and his health. So like, maybe you don't want to bump him up to the top tier, but like we've, we've seen more this off season, uh, get traded for, um, you know, a wide receiver of that caliber. So for them to still hold on to those two first round picks, it is really big, uh, for what this offense can, can eventually look like. Yeah. Like you said, they, they can just kind of see what Jalen hurts is. Cause if you Jalen hurts still hits at, the, at his contract, I mean, you still have a bunch of leverage and then this will tell the tale on Jalen hurts, you know, cause you've got all the weapons. I also think they want to be more aggressive than what they were over at the back half of last year. We saw that earlier in the year, right? They got him into trouble, but you can see that they kind of want to be more of an aggressive offense than, than what they were. Uh, and were kind of forced into. And when you, when you had Dallas Goddard, you know, hurt at the front half of the year, uh, you know, Jalen wasn't really kind of, you know, comfortable yet it was kind of one of those things like it just kind of snowballed away from them and they realized like hey we need to just shift into this type of offense uh i do think that they just want to be they do inherently want to be a little more aggressive than they were to close the season um i I love this deal for them i didn't love the trade up for jordan davis nothing wrong jordan davis the player but again it's just like the saints you're giving up a lot to go up a couple spots right and i don't i don't ever like that you did give up a lot yeah and, and, you know, I don't ever, I don't ever love that, but, you know, uh, the Eagles have positioned themselves. We were joking a little bit before the show, like they're going to be probably like the trendy, like pick at least to win the division, if not just people to like them in the NFC altogether. Yeah. And I think one of those things about the, the trade up, while it definitely was more than I, you know, ideally like would have liked for, for two spots, um, they gave up a 15 124, 162, and 166 to go up to 13 uh, for Jordan Davis. Um, and, and while that's that's more than you probably should trade up in that, like I feel like that's one of those where it's a loss, like all across any trade value. Um, but the Eagles are also a team that it, they're not always going to trade up, right? Like they, they are actually always going to trade up because they always kind of seem to do that, but they also play the board, right? So they're not just always giving up draft capital. Uh, they're playing the board. They're going to also move down. Um, and, and we've seen it like they you doing these moves up and still have these two first round picks. They still have a ton of picks in, in this draft. Um, so they're a team that like, because they move around so much, like one trade isn't really going to, I'm not going to be too upset with one trade because I know it's not really the only move they're going to make like new Orleans. They're only going to trade up. Like they're going to continually do that. They're not going to get any draft capital back. They don't care about it. They like new Orleans is the, is the FM picks team like everyone thinks everyone it's the rams everyone the thinks rams. it's the rams, the rams, no, it's the same. The rams love draft picks they just are using those like, again I, i've gone on this rant so many times about how the rams do structure their their draft picks and how they actually use a, a lot of them and well um because they fit into what around the stars that they use the early picks for but the the saints are the f them picks team <laughs> 
they Absolutely. they don't they don't care. Um, <laughs> but but back to the Eagles, uh, you know they're they're a team that's going to maneuver around the board. So uh, it doesn't upset me when you know one move up uh, is is a lot because especially like with with Jordan Davis uh, for a team like the Eagles, who's one of those teams now that is going to want to run a lot of too high. They're going to be rotating their defensive linemen a lot because that's something they do like to do. They have Fletcher Cox, they have Javon Hargrave, but you put Jordan Davis in the middle of that defense, and and right now like. Even if the concerns that he's like not going to play on third down, like you're you're not not getting to to third down. Like it's going to be third and long anyway because like having Jordan Davis there like really shifts what this defense could potentially look like. The way it's structured on the defensive line, the way you can potentially structure uh, in the box and in in the secondary. So I do really like the fit. So mm-hmm. um, them, them trading up, like, I don't see like the biggest problem with it. Even though you know, again, it is probably more yeah. picks than you would have liked. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have a problem with the trade up. I don't. I don't mind it when teams trade up in the first round because we know that there, there aren't like thirty-two blue chip players in every draft. There's a much smaller number than that. So you, it's okay to go up and get one of the premier players. I have a problem with trading up for Jordan Davis though, because, I mean, he's a first and second down player who's and who stuffs the run in a pass first league. He's going to play twenty-five to thirty snaps a game, like. Yeah, he ran great at the combine. And you know what? That was five seconds. So he's a good athlete for five seconds. Do that play after play after play. He can't do that. We've seen that at Georgia. When he stays on the field, he slows down. The effort lets up. I got I got big questions about the type of impact that a guy like that can have in today's game. But it's interesting, though. I, I think that kind of... I think Philadelphia, though, gives him the place where that's not going to be a concern, at least in year one, right? He's not going to have to play 90% of the snaps. Um, well, no, he's not going to have to, and he's going to be good in that role. He is very good if you limit him to 25 to 30 snaps a game. Um, but is that is there value in that? Like, we see lots of good nose tackles come off the board in the third, fourth round. So, like, do you need to spend – uh, first round pick on Jordan Davis just because he's a little bit better than those guys. Yeah. We're talking margins again. Like we talk about the Saints. Like Yeah, I I don't know. I I think there there still is some some untapped upside there that I think I kind of trust the Eagles to of like all teams. Um like if Davis had gone to like the Eagles or the Ravens, uh I think like that's where I would feel most comfortable with like getting the most out of what he can be. Um so uh uh, I'm I'm excited to to see what that that does look like. So, um, let's. I think like as we were on the Eagles, like a, a, I think AJ Brown to the Eagles was like my move of the night. But so let's go into like what what else we liked. Like what what are some of the other um, either player team fits or just the the general overall uh, draft philosophy? Uh, what did we like um, in round one? I mean, it's hard to not like what both New York teams did. And it, it's easy when two, both those teams had two top 10 picks. But, uh, like, you know, I don't mind the, the Jets coming up and getting Jermaine Johnson. Either. And they're another team. They still have another front-end pick t- to start tonight. Uh, you know, they have pick 38 still. Uh, so they still got, they're still going to come away with four top 40 players in this draft. The Giants, I think it just worked out really good for them in a weird way. I think it was yeah. probably wasn't going to hurt them either way, but I think they probably would have wanted one of the two cornerbacks. But because they didn't, 
they had the luxury of just waiting for either one of the offensive linemen, you know, at seven, taking Thibodeau. And Thibodeau could be the best player in this draft, like when we look back on it, right? Like, so, yeah. I mean, to, to get him at five and then to still come away with your offensive tackle, which was a desperate need because their right tackle situation was absolutely a, a train wreck. And, you know, they've rebuilt the interior of that offensive line of veterans a lot like the Bills did when Sean was there, you know, just signing kind of guys on the cheap, you know, they had Glowinski, they had Feliciano who was, you know, with the bills and uh, Max Garcia from the Cardinals and Andrew Thomas took a step up in here too. So like they've kind of rebuilt this offensive line in a year, you had a, a, an edge rusher. And then, like I said, the, the jets, it was going to be hard, I think for the jets to kind of brick what they did, but I like that they were aggressive then again in the back end of round one, two. Um, and we'll see when we revisit this in like five years uh, because I saw the Raiders just declined all three of their fifth year yep. options for the guys that they drafted in 2019. So we'll revisit this in five years and see like how like locked in the Jets are these picks. But, but on paper, it's hard to push back against it right now. Yeah, I completely agree. The the two uh, the wide receiver trades were great. Uh, both New York teams did good. To bring up one like a little a little bit off the radar, maybe in terms of a team that won. I really like what the Vikings did. I know that trade down has been criticized by some because especially if you go off the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, which we know is wrong, but it's out there. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people are using it. Um, If you look at that, it was a bad trade, like just flat out terrible value. But that is wrong, like I said. And especially an analytics uh, minded team like the Vikings, they don't care about that. They're looking at they have their own chart that they've made internally that is probably much, much closer to being accurate. And if you compare it to some of like the analytically minded charts that are, you know, that we can access on the internet, we see, you know, people have come up with different formulas and that show that this was probably not such a, not such a bad trade, probably slightly tilted in the, uh, in the lion's favor. But I think another way that you have to look at it is we strongly believe that if the Vikings stayed put at 12, they were considering uh, Kyle Hamilton or Trent McDuffie, two guys for their secondary. And so they could have stayed there and they could have taken Hamilton, who's probably better than Lewis Seen, who they ended up with. But if their board looked like maybe they had Hamilton like eighth overall and they had Trent McDuffie like 12th overall, but then maybe they had Lewis Seen like 18th and then maybe they have like Kyler Gordon 20th and maybe they have uh, Andrew Booth like 24th. Well, instead of just getting Kyle Hamilton 12, now they're going to get both of those positions at pick 32. And I think it's pick 34 was the other one that they got. So they're going to get, you know, slightly further down their board, but they're going to get fill out both of those positions of need. So I think this was a really smart trade for them. Even if the value may not slightly, maybe slightly tipped in the scale of the lions to address, to get two probably immediate starters at two big positions of need. I think that was well worth it for them. Yeah. And if you're the Vikings, like you, you probably could have, gotten more but again that's like that's it's picking nits a little bit and we kind of talked about like didn't mind the trade up for Detroit because it was kind of you know equal ish the value just depending mm-hmm. on on what you look so it it's fine and again to to get someone like Lucine and like Lucy's really good man um and he's kind of like he was the one like really true deep safety um in this class guy you can really like line up and trust to be back there if you're going to run some single high coverages uh he's going to be able to rotate down if you need to have that that pre-snap rotation um he can kind of do uh like all these safeties kind of can do like a a little bit of everything so the the pick is good again to to still have 34 is is good um i i mean to to go to kyle hamilton um kyle hamilton to the ravens is really fun and when when you kind of look at like this team should never not play dime defense. 
um, given <laughs> um, given who they have in the secondary now. Like they they did go out and have like their their one big free agent was was Marcus Williams. Um, so I think they just have like some guys who can play a, a whole bunch of of different roles. So like Marcus Williams again is is a guy you can trust to have be in that you know single high coverage. Then you can rotate the Hamilton down to the box if you need Hamilton to play the slot. If you need Hamilton to play deep in in too high, um, that's that's a, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, especially with you know what else they're they're going to be doing there. And then um, Kair uh, Elam. Uh, to Buffalo, I think was one of my favorite fits of of the first round too. Um, Elam, a uh, very physical corner, uh, maybe sometimes like a little too much. I know he was like highly penalized a little bit last year, but when you look at it, like uh, it's second in yards allowed per coverage snap uh, last year, that was you know playing in the SEC. Um, and I think he's really good, and I think he's going to be a guy who's insulated by the rest of the Buffalo defense, right? You don't need him to come in and be the number one corner because you have Tredavious White, although he is, you know, coming off of an injury, but you have Teron Johnson who's going to be good in the slot. You have probably the best safety uh, duo in the league. So I think Elam, like for a rookie corner to come in and then a guy who probably like should have been can like more widely considered uh, like cornerback three in this class. And I think Ryan, you had him there. Yep. Um, like he's he's really good, and for him to be able to like kind of slide into that Buffalo defense uh, at a position that the Bills like really needed um, after uh, Levi Wallace left in in free agency, uh, I think that was one of my favorite fits too. Yeah, I love Kyrie Lillum. Like you said, he was number three cornerback on my board, number twelfth overall. I think teams maybe overthought him a little bit because the knock on him. I forget which broadcast I was watching at the time that pick came off the board, but they were talking about how he's like really grabby downfield and he panics a little bit and is over aggressive, but that describes a lot of college cornerbacks because they can get away with it in college the way you can't in the NFL. So that's not a, I don't really see that as a concern because it's not necessarily something that the, his college coaches were trying to coach out of him. So like you should be able like, you can learn to not grab, like it's, it's not that hard. And the physicality, the fact that he's willing to be physical, it also shows up in legal ways at the line of scrimmage and press man coverage. And over the last two years, he was one of the best cornerbacks in the SEC playing a lot of press man coverage, which almost nobody does in college. And yet there he was in the best conference in the country doing it at a very high level for two years. So we had a long track record of seeing him do stuff that college cornerbacks don't do. So I feel like he was a really safe pick. Yeah, and I just uh, I think the the perfect situation for him too. So that is just uh, I think like we're we're going to end up w- looking back at that. I I think as like one of oh, one of the probably steals of the first round at least just because of of how well he fits what they need and what he could potentially do. Um, and having like that that press corner that goes opposite Tredavious White, like you could, that opens up a lot of other things uh, you can do, especially like with the safeties. Now you don't have to, might not have to worry about uh, as much uh, on the back end. So I just, that, that was a really fun fit. Um, let's, let's go to the other side. Um, what, what did we not like in the first round? It kind of felt like, um, you know, for as surprising as it was like outside of like the, the Cole strange thing, like again, there, like that was the one big surprise. Um, but is there anything that, uh, you know, and maybe if I don't know if we want to say a, a loser of the first round, um, but uh, it's something that maybe uh, maybe you have uh, a little bit of doubts about. Oh, sorry with you, Rich. Uh, no, I mean, on the player sense, you know, I, I tend to operate with like a, a lot of these guys are going to have a lot worse than we than we always think they are. Uh, so, I mean, I think about it more of like a team like the, like the Saints, like what the Saints did, I think, in totality of this draft is is absolutely just abysmal management. 
I just can't get I can't get past it. This the, the, the fact that they just gave up so much future capital again uh, to just take. The, and what if these players aren't good, man? Like it's it just it puts you in such a box, and I, I hate everything about it. I know that I don't want to step on. I know Ryan Ryan's a huge Ohio State guy. Listen, I like Chris Lowry just fine, but it's like it's 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 not like the, like these guys operate with impunity. Like not all these receivers are going to end up being good, and I mean it's just such a box you put yourself in. No, that's completely fair. I mean, we should have more skepticism than teams do about these wide receivers. They're really aggressive going after it, and yet history tells us we're not good at identifying who the first, second, third best receiver will be in any draft class. We're really bad at it. The best guy often comes from day two. Let me ask you, uh, for someone that's doing that's done like mock drafts and stuff, so now we have three of the past five wide receiver ones in the NFL draft have not tested at all. Uh, do you think there's like any type of change there? Just like the, the guys just don't need to do this to, to really kind of show out anymore, but because it's kind of an interesting element that's kind of cooked in because like London never ran or didn't really yeah, did right. anything. Yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. It's that we might start to see that more because when you think about it, that's position position specifically uh, we see their athleticism on the field. Like I don't need mm-hmm. to know what London's 40 time is. I know he's not as fast as Garrett Wilson. Uh, but I also know that he's fast enough and especially like he has the right size speed combination. And that's really what you care about. Like same thing with Traylon Burks. Like we did get a 40 time on him and some people were worried about it, but I was never concerned because like, yeah, there's a long list of guys in the league that are his size and with his speed that are really productive. So like I, I can point to the way that he wins. So yeah, you're right. Especially for, for some of those guys, like a Traylon Burks that entering the draft, like in future years, like maybe they just decide to, not run because they just say like, you know, you're just going to, it's just going to like raise negative talking points. Right. Like, let, let's just skip it. Like you, you saw me run on the field every weekend. Like, you know how fast I am. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things like uh, for someone who like loves athleticism and, and wants to target that at, at some very specific positions, like wide receiver is just one that like overall, it just, it doesn't really matter. Like can you because there's so many different ways to win as a wide receiver right like kind of like you said like drake london i like he, he's going to a place where I, it's going to be exactly like the usc offense where he's going to get peppered with targets because there's no other option um <laughs> but we've we've seen like he has the ability to to get open he has the body control to make that matter he can make some guys miss like he he's going to win. He's not as fast as Garrett Wilson, but again, he's going to win in very different ways than Garrett Wilson is. And I think there's, and there's not really a position like wide receiver where the ranges in ways you can win are so different. And I think like that, that kind of comes into the, the athletic testing. I just don't think it matters quite as much. Like, you shouldn't be running like a five one if you're a wide receiver, but like we, we, yeah. no one who's <laughs> going to be going in the first round, like is going to be doing that. Um, so it's a crime where now we don't have Ryan Fitzpatrick as the bridge quarterback for the Falcons uh, to throw just YOLO balls to those two guys, man, those two mountains. We got the Mariota bot that gets, <laughs> guy has to see the throw five seconds before it exists. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, we'll see. But I think like <laughs> that could potentially help uh, London a little bit because he's going to be open. We, we've had this discussion yeah. about London when we talked about him, like, I, I, he can get open. A lot of his contested catches were because the USC quarterbacks uh, couldn't continually throw him open and there were throws consistently behind him um, and things like that. So he had to adjust. And I think that's one of his best skills is, is the body control. Um, 
but uh, I'm I'm excited to see. Maybe Malik think. goes there. We will get lucky here. Well, so that that's the thing. So let's let's talk about the quarterbacks because <laughs> there we we knew the league was not going to be high on the quarterbacks. We we knew there were not going to be many taken highly. Um, we knew there there might not be many taken in the first round at all. Uh, it still shocks me that Kenny Pickett at 20 was the only quarterback to go in the first round. Like, I'm not sure, like, even as bad as you might think this quarterback class is, to have Kenny Pickett as the wide receiver one and the only guy to go in the first round is wild uh, to me. I just, I, I don't see it. And, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but, like, I, the whole, like, he's the most pro-ready thing, like, I don't see that either. Um, he, he wants to bail. Like if we talk about like Malik Willis taking like pressure and turning into sacks, like Kenny Pickett wants to bail from the pocket, like just as much as Malik Willis does. And he's not as good at it. Um, so I think like you see that short area accuracy and I think this Steelers offense is going to, like, if, if he even wins the job, like I, I'm not sure he's better than Mitch Trubisky at, at this point. Um, so, uh, and if like, so the short area accuracy is really good, but do we want Pittsburgh to be like this four yard a dot offense again um i think like that's kind of what they they put themselves into so i that that continue that still shocks me like i understand not being high on on the quarterbacks but having kenny pickett be the only guy that went i just yeah i mean i'm I'm not shocked just because like obviously we knew like pittsburgh had done their homework and that kind of seems like uh conservative pittsburgh kind of move, okay but right? okay hold on is is kenny pickett pittsburgh's pick if he didn't go to pitt like if kenny pickett went to any <laughs> other school is is he who pittsburgh takes in the first round i mean you had the tomlin school narrative with malik willis but that didn't pay off i mean look i didn't have it in my mock draft so like i'm i'm certainly not going to try like rewrite history and say like I, I called this ahead of time um but if you were to before the draft list like who are like the three or four most conservative teams in terms of their team building. Yeah. Aren't the Steelers on that list? Yeah. Yeah. So like they're the type of team that would talk themselves into like, well, he's pretty accurate. He's like got above average athleticism. He's not going to screw. He's not going to completely embarrass us. Like he's, he's not going to be Jamarcus Russell or like a a bust on that level. Right. Like he's going to be fine. Like he's not going to be your starter 10 years from now. I'd be shocked by that. But he could have a couple of years, and especially if you can like build up the offensive line, maybe in next offseason, like he might look okay. He might he might be Andy Dalton. The problem, of course, is that that's his ceiling, right? Like, and you don't, yeah, yeah. So the, that just raised my eyebrows when you just said yeah. he might be Andy Dalton. Like that's exactly not that's the problem. Is, yeah, you can't draft a player with Andy Dalton's ceiling. But like for a conservative team, like yeah, I'm not surprised. Like that's unfortunately that's what Pittsburgh is. They want to draft running backs and Kenny Pickett's in the first round. <laughs> um, so I think this now makes the quarterback conversation more interesting because originally looking at this class, uh, I had the feeling that like, I wouldn't want to take a swing on any of these guys like in the second round because they're, they're not worth it. But that was assuming Malik Willis was taken in the first round. And even maybe Desmond Ritter was taken in the first round uh, that the guys in the second round, like then you'd be doing like the, the Macarals and the Sam Howells. Like I don't really want any part of them, but now the risk reward balance completely changes. If you're taking guy even early in the second round now, like there's not the pressure for these guys to come in and be the guy 
um, you can kind of like take that swing. This is this is a Jalen Hurts thing. We're now like the Eagles are going to be entering year three of Jalen Hurts, and they can still be like, we're not sure if he's the guy, and they don't really have to make that commitment. And I think with like a, a Willis or, or a Ritter, um, they're they're potentially in that spot now. So I think like they are much more interesting players uh, in the top part of, of the second round than they potentially would have been in any part of the first. So I'm really interested to see where they go and how some teams uh, are looking at them. Like we, we kind of talked about Atlanta with Marcus Mariota, like you probably, you wouldn't want to take one of these guys at eight, but now if they're, they're sitting here in the forties, that's interesting. Seattle has two picks coming up um, in, in the top of the second round in the photo, like back to back. I think that, that makes it more interesting where you can have a more open competition with Drew Locke. And that's one of the saddest things I might've ever said. Um, but I, I think like shaping where those two guys go now, I think in, in the top of the second round, like does make them, I think more way, way more attractive than they would have been the otherwise. Yeah. It's literally the Jalen Hurts plan, the, the, you know, yeah. <laughs> we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I mean, the, the upside is, is massive and there's pretty low margins here because, you know, the, the players in this area, again, like it's just, it's, it's always, it's always net losses as we progress through the draft, the amount of players get second contracts in the NFL uh, and with the same team. So it's just, why not swing on a quarterback for one of those teams, especially Seattle that has two picks like back to back here coming up. Like they're, they're like the team that you're looking at. Like one of those maybe is there might even be, if you're the Falcons, there might even be a quarterback at 58 still at the way we're, we're the way we're trending. Oh yeah. I mean, the, of the five quarterbacks that were like sometimes mentioned in the first round, I would bet at least two of them fall into the third round and at least one of them is available tomorrow on day three. Um, but yeah, like I'm normally very against teams drafting quarterbacks on day two because the day two quarterbacks have already been drafted on day one, but that right. didn't happen this year. <laughs> yes. Like I, I don't have a prop like, Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter, especially their day two quarterbacks, and now they're available on day two. So go ahead and take them, especially the Falcons, because I mean, for a couple of reasons. Number one, they have four picks. So you can potentially get three good players at positions of need elsewhere and just roll the dice on somebody. But also, they're awful. They're going to be very bad next year unless they hit on a quarterback who comes in and is surprisingly really good right away, in which case, great, you're not awful and you've got your quarterback. But they're going to be terrible. So you come in, you draft Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter or I guess roll the dice with one of the others, maybe if you, one of your third-round picks. Um, you bring him in, you start him right away. Maybe you go 0-17 and, and you realize we don't have our quarterback. Okay, great. Now do we want Bryce Young or do we want C.J. Stroud? Let's roll. That's fine. Like. <laughs> Go take take roll roll the dice with someone, and then if it fails, get one of those two studs next year. Yeah, it just it uh, like I said, just, uh, the risk reward balance is is completely different now. Um, in in the second round, uh, and I like some of these fits are are, are fun that we were kind of uh like that we would have talked about like Seattle like Malik Willis potentially throwing a deep ball to DK Metcalf it's a lot of a lot of fun um, Malik Willis is basically the DK Metcalf of quarterbacks right like yeah kind of like he does like one thing ball. really well it does yeah. the yeah can throw the deep ball um you guys are just those is DK shade <laughs> 
what? No, there's no DK shade. I he's mean, probably really good at that one thing is valuable, no, he's, as we've he's seen. He's good at yeah. a lot of other things, but like, when, <laughs> like DK Metcalf went to Seattle, like that was the perfect fit for what he could do really well and what Russell Wilson did really well. I think there's a, a very similar thing with what Malik Willis could potentially do well, fitting with DK Metcalf um, and Tyler Lockett. Like, I think Malik Willis is kind of, and then that was kind of the argument for why you could potentially overdraft him at nine. Um, was I think he fits well with what that offense could potentially be. Um, and then for, for Pete Carroll, if you want to run the ball, you have a, a quarterback who's going to be an even better runner than Russell Wilson was. Um, just in terms of like what you could scheme in that, I, I think that, that there's, there's some fun stuff there. And then the steal Baltimore's offense. Yeah, you, you could potentially could, but maybe like with some the actual passing concepts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you look, you have the Falcons at 43. You have the Lions coming up again at 46. Um, I think they're, they're, what these quarterbacks do are, are very interesting now. And Let I me think ask they, you, does, do, do you, are you guys confident Willis is the next quarterback taken? No. Mm. I think there's a, lot, there's a lot of teams that like Ritter. Yeah, I mean – so we, we had heard from the media reports that like a lot of teams had a, a first round grade on Desmond Ritter and that I don't believe that was the case. Um, so, so we'll see. Um, I, uh, I, I have some money down on Desmond Ritter to be the second quarterback taken, but that was Ooh, me right, assuming man. Malik Willis was going to be the first quarterback <laughs> taken. Um, so my, uh, my confidence in that is, is a little lower. But I think what another interesting thing is, Rich, we had talked about this in previous shows. Like it, This shows that the fifth-year option did not matter for these No, we've talked about it. It's dead. Right? It's, and we did. For, uh, for, for dead. these quarterbacks that you're not totally sure of, um, it, it's more of a detriment. And we just saw it uh, before the draft. The Giants declined Daniel Jones' uh, fifth-year option because there's there's no upside in guaranteeing um, that, like, $22 million. Uh, yeah, we're not talking, him. like, $16, 18000000 million anymore. Yeah. And, and by the time <laughs> and these guys are hitting the these fifth-year like, options, <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, but again, if, if he's hitting the Pro Bowl, like, you're already – you're going to extend yeah. him. I don't know, uh, man. The thing is, like, if these guys turn out to be Daniel Jones, which they could potentially could be, like, in their best case scenarios, um, we just talked about the guy who did go in the first round might be Andy Dalton. Um, it, <laughs> the way Pro Bowls go, I'm surprised Daniel Jones hasn't been like an alternate already or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think like it, it does show that without supreme confidence in these quarterbacks, like the fifth year option, just it was not something that mattered because it, it could potentially be be worse for a team having to face uh, that decision. Um, we were wondering if like the thirst was going to get people right. Cause the quarterback thirst and we'll, yeah. And, and I guess good, good for NFL teams for, for not uh, coming to it. But I also think like we're, we're in a place where even if there's not a lot of good quarterbacks uh, around the league, um, everyone kind of has a plan at least. Right. There, there was no team that desperately yeah. needed a quarterback. I mean, probably except for like Carolina. Um, they had no draft picks. Right. Because they'd probably Which, be sitting here right now like, yeah. We'll pick they, man, they wish they had a second round pick <laughs> right now. I can guarantee you that. Um, so we'll, we'll see what's going on. So let's let's continue uh, going into like what we can uh, expect uh, in day two. So, Ryan, like who are some of your, your best guys available? Um, are there some like player team fits uh, that you would really maybe like to see? Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite players available is Jalen Petrie, the yeah. safety from Baylor. Um, and I really love I mean, I like him for a lot of teams. I think he's versatile enough that a lot of teams could use his skill set. He mostly played in the box at Baylor, but has played in the slot as well. Um, 
Washington would be a great fit. I mean, we know they lost Landon Collins and they're still looking for somebody to fill that role. So what he proved playing a really similar role to Landon Collins and Dave Aranda's defense uh, at Baylor last season. I mean, he, he was a stud like, and clearly highly intelligent. You can see uh, the way he attacks the ball in the run game. Like he is a step ahead of the offense often. And that's exactly what Washington needs in that role. So that, that's definitely my favorite player team fit that I'm hoping to see today. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense for, for a team that could potentially like play some more three safety, which is something they, they kind of. Yeah, they did a lot of it last year. And that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why I thought Kyle Hamilton was a very plausible pick for them in the first round. You have it. And like, and, and Jalen Petrie, he's, he's a guy I, I really like because I wrote about the safeties last week. Like the more I dug into safeties, like the more I, I like him more than Dax Hill, to be honest, oh, yeah. um, playing that, that kind of like slot safety role. Cause they both played like 75% um, of their, of their snaps in the slot in, in 2021. And, and it wasn't always like slot man coverage, right? They were kind of mm-hmm. like in the slot, but moving into the box a little bit, but it's one of those things you can do. And, and Petrie was a guy who like, blitzed 17% of the time and not only was he blitzing well like a super high pressure rate so he was doing it at a high volume and high efficiency um I think he can cover really well you can move him around yeah yeah he's one of one of my my favorite guys um same thing with uh Jaquan Brisker um the Mm -hmm. safety um yeah I think he he gave me like the John Johnson vibes a little bit like in in the like the peak Rams John Johnson where you can have him like kind of in the middle of the field he can do he can play deep you can rotate him down into the box and play and he I he had better slot coverage I think than he was giving credit for too when he needed to do that um he's one of the guys I'm really looking forward uh to seeing uh Channing Tindall um the Georgia linebacker that super athletic um he's the guy that you're gonna say like he never started a game at Georgia but like that was one of those things just just because like who cares that he did play like a lot of snaps and was really good uh can cover well like he you like never missed a tackle a five percent uh broken and missed tackle rate uh which is easily the best uh, among these linebackers um when you look at what he can do in in run defense uh just really good I I in uh our write-up that we wrote um for the site, I, I put him in Baltimore, uh, which I think would be a really fun fit, especially if they're playing dime as often as they do. And they've they've taken some swings at linebacker that haven't completely worked out. I think Tindall could be a, a fun piece uh, there. That's that's another guy I'm, I'm pretty uh, excited to see. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of linebackers come off the board on day two. This is a pretty deep class, even though it wasn't deep in round one. There's a bunch of good, a lot of really good athletes Um you know, he's definitely in the mix. His teammate, N'Kobe Dean, obviously he yeah. was one of the ones that we talked about in round one. And I think the only reason why he fell is probably because he didn't work out and being a smaller guy and people have a little bit of questions about his speed. That was probably the reason why he slipped out, but he's another one. I mean, similar to what I was talking about with Petrie, you can see that he's thinking one step ahead all the time. Yeah. And so that it kind of, even if he is a step slower than you'd like for a smaller linebacker, the fact that he has that ability to anticipate what's coming kind of like makes up for that, you know, half step being a half step slower than you'd like. Yeah. And, and like the, you don't really have the, the green dot and the, um, and the, the communication in college, but like, he's, he's the guy that was like yes. kind of running the Georgia defense when, when they were on the field. So you can, you can see that. Like I, yeah. I'm surprised he, uh, I'm surprised he did not go and like a, um, and like Devin Lloyd went to. Yeah. Uh, green Bay. Bay. Taking uh, Quay Walker over Nicobe Dean, that they're going to regret that. I'm I'm pretty confident they're going to regret that. Uh, Quay Walker has the size, but I'll take the linebacker with the intelligence over the guy with size. 
Yeah, we were kind of talking about this uh, beforehand. I, I'm surprised the two teams that made like a significant investment at linebacker were also the teams that used the first round pick at a linebacker and, uh, you know, uh, Green Bay um, going with Devondre Campbell, uh, having that big deal. Jacksonville already paid um, Foy Okun um, after again, and I mentioned this in the write-up too, and I've, I've tweeted it before, Jacksonville will never find a linebacker that they don't want to use a premium asset on. Um, they are paying Joe Schobert and Miles Jack, neither of whom will be on the team in 2022, a combined like $14.7 million in dead money. And that is, that's Levante David money. Levante David is making a, a cap hit of, of 14.7. That's the fourth highest for a linebacker. And Jacksonville is paying that for two guys who are not going to play on the team. One was cut two years ago. Um, and uh, and they they paid a linebacker in free agency. They used the first round uh, pick on the linebacker here. So uh, we did not get to Jacksonville in our, our potential losers, <laughs> but like that was one of the more questionable decisions. Um, Rich, what are you looking forward to on day two? I mean, this has always been like the dynasty day. Like, you yeah. know, uh, this is this is the firewall. If your guys don't get selected today, uh, it is an uphill climb uh, if they're ever going to be relevant. So, you know, kind of all your favorite players. We're going to finally start to see some running backs drafted. Uh, thank God we didn't have a running back drafted for the, you know, the first round. We have to deal with that. Just so. for the, the, the discourse alone. Like the, right, the tweets. It was, just it was, saved it was, us hours of time. Thank yes, you. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much, NFL teams. Uh, really just the Bills. Thank you, Bills. You were the only one people were kind of like up in arms about, even though we said DB uh, the whole way. So this is, like I said, the firewall. We're looking for our favorite wide receivers. No matter what your flavor is, if, you, if you're a Sky Moore guy, George Pickens guy, whether you like Jalen Tolbert, Wondell Robinson, you know, Alec Pierce, if you like Greg Dulcich, like this is the day, right? This is the day you, you're looking for those landing spots in that draft capital. Uh, you're hoping those guys don't fall out of today because uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's darkness when you get to Saturday. Yeah, it's one of those things like it. And there's some fun. Uh, I'm interested in kind of the, the tight ends. I want to see where, where these guys go. Um, we like kind of had some late rumors that Cincinnati might have been the surprise pick with taking a, a tight end in the first round and that obviously didn't happen. It's not but, a bad tight end class. I know that there's no Kyle there's, Pitts, but like, right. there's good there's, players There's here. some interesting guys. You got uh, Trey McBride. I'm interested where Jelani Woods goes, mm-hmm. right? The guy who like hasn't played a whole lot of tight end, but is like just one of the most athletic people. Like, I just want to see planet. him on the field. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Mo- there's some guys. Greg Dolchik. Um, there's, there's a lot of interesting tight ends. So I think like having them in, in this sweet spot too, that that's going to be, um, if Dolce you know, goes to the Bengals, I'm going to be like, <laughs> be, uh, <laughs> yeah, gonna... I, I was just, before you brought that up, Dan, I was just going to say the same thing. I'm a little more interested in the tight ends. I think the receivers on this day are kind of, yeah, meh. they're, they're going to be, I don't see a lot of upside with them. I should say, like, I see lots of guys who could be like a perfectly fine third or fourth option, but some of these tight ends, I really like their upside. Like, I think part of the reason why we haven't been talking about them going higher is mostly like tight ends just like kind of don't exist in the college game. Um, but there's some great athletes some guys who have like shown some skills when they've had opportunities. So like it makes perfect sense that teams are hesitant to invest in a guy who just like really hasn't shown a whole lot. Um, but, you know, some of these guys I think are going to turn into relevant uh, pass catchers and offenses in the league. I'm curious who the RB3 is, too. I know we know there's, like, a, a the, the top two guys, but I'm curious who the league, which guy ends up being the third guy. Does it end up being Spiller? Does it end up being James Cook because of his receiving? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see, like, that that order of the non-Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker running backs. Yeah, that'll be 
that'll be interesting to see. And like these, these guys are going to matter too. Uh, and uh, I did not mean oh, to yeah. use that phrase the way I did when talking <laughs> about running backs and using the M word. Um, but like the, these guys are going to be in rotations um, at, at the least. So it like they're they're going to get playing time, and like that's that's a position we know you can you can hit here. Um, the wide receivers I am interested in seeing uh, Khalil Shakir. Um, it's a guy I really like. Like he kind of seems like he could be that, um, you know, that, that pretty good number three. You can play the slot. Uh, had really good body control. Um, and um, uh, wow, I just uh, blanked on who I am excited to see because that's, oh, you that's like Trey Turner, are. but he's not going to go today, right? I, yes, I do like uh, Trey Turner, but um, who? Wow, um, uh, Jalen Tolbert. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he's. A good I do think his, his skill set is a fun um, uh, day two thing to target. Um, the other on defensive side, uh, Nick Benito from Oklahoma, guy I really like. Just kind of one of those like if you're going to like a one of those blitz heavy schemes um, is going to be like I thought the Giants might like wait on without Thibodeau on the board. I thought the Giants might wait for like round two because he just kind of seems like the perfect Wink Martindale guy. Um, yeah, athletic. It doesn't really have like one-on-one pass rush moves, um, but when he's put in a good position, can easily get pressure. Uh, so that's that's another guy I think have a lot of upside um, in uh, the early uh, day two. So, um, anyone else uh, we're we're looking forward to? Or uh, have yeah, we- Tolbert Tolbert was another one that I was going to bring up. I think uh, some of the teams that may have been interested in Traylon Burks in yeah. the first round might pivot to Tolbert. Tolbert's smaller, but he has excelled in like the same kind of route tree. Like he's a guy that you're gonna try to feed to get the ball in space, and he he runs hard with the ball in his hand. So I, I think that's if, if if you were hoping your team was gonna get Burks, that's a guy to keep an eye on today. Yeah, absolutely. And like they they profiled uh, very similarly uh, when I did um, uh, the the target yards added. I'm um, just kind of in context. They they both kind of uh, were way above what the rest of they of what the rest of the receivers in the offense can do. And they, the offense kind of ran through them in, in one way or another. So that's um, certainly going to be, uh, he is a fun guy. And I think like, we'll, we'll, we'll see some fun things. And I think that's one of the fun things, like where we saw, like people said this was a bad draft because they're like, there wasn't the high, like the, the clear stars. Um, I will always but, run into guys. Right. But, but, but what, what I'm getting to is like, it, it's deep. Um, and I think there's, there was a lot of like, good players but again like there just weren't like the very clear like top five top ten guys that we usually see in the draft but it, it's pretty deep and i don't think like yeah nfl's it, an opportunity sport right the difference between some of the guys who were going to go today and some of the guys who went on the back half of of the first round i don't think like the skill is is that much different um so i think we're going to see a lot, a lot of fun things in day two and maybe even heading into day three yeah, just one one last name I wanted to throw out there. Defensive tackle Travis Jones from yeah. UConn. He's a stud. I I mean I sort of UConn. criticized yeah, sort of criticized <laughs> the Eagles for uh picking Jordan Davis. Travis Jones is sort of like one of those nose tackles that I was saying, like they're always available on day two. And yet Jones is, although he is a traditional nose tackle, he was a three-down player at UConn. Like he's already proven that he has the stamina to do that. I was super late to watching any of Travis Jones because obviously he played at UConn. Why on earth would I watch that last <laughs> fall? Um, but they played Clemson. So obviously that was like what the first game that I pulled up and he was the best player on the field. When Clemson's offense was on the field with UConn's defense, Travis Jones absolutely obliterated Clemson's offensive line. And to be fair, Clemson's offensive line was one of the reasons they had a down year last year, but still 
he's going up against a lot of big time recruits on a Clemson offensive line and just absolutely destroyed them. So that, that jumped out to me in a big way. I'm excited to see where he goes. I made the finals in a 50 team college fantasy league with David Pindell as my quarterback, UConn David <laughs> nice. Pindell. Uh, the, the Konami code of college football back then. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's – what a note to end on. Um, so um, thank you, everyone, for, for listening. Um, we will uh, have uh, much more uh, written content uh, coming up on the site. We have a lot uh, already uh, going through. Uh, we have a roundtable for some thoughts, kind of a lot of what we said here, but some some other – uh, thoughts and observations about round one. Uh, Rich did a fantasy fallout piece um, for all the the fantasy relevant guys. Uh, again, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, also uh, fantasy uh, for the offensive linemen and what that kind of means for some of the the running games and and passing games and pass blocking and and things like that. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, you can find a, a lot of more stuff that uh, Ryan's going to be doing on the site also. So. Um, you can find Ryan on Twitter at Ryan underscore Crystal. You can find Rich on Twitter at Warp Reeves. You can find me on Twitter at Tampa Thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you again soon.